We are live. All right, we're live. Live from the shed. Coming at you. The Shedcast Live. What is up, Mr. Mike Nice? How was a week of vacation? A week of vacation? Was not too bad, actually. I'm going to put myself on the stream for you guys. Hey, how's it going? Fucking vacation's been fucking awesome. I hate to say that because there's no kids around, but... That's what made it great. You get a break. You get to see what life without the little kiddos are. You get to really go hard and not have to worry about kids giving you shit when you wake up with the hangover. All right. I want to get it right into it. I was on the road with Davey Smith. And the first topic that I want to discuss is that after the coronavirus and everything that's happened, I've always been a germaphobe. And I would have thought that because of things that have happened, the world would have been more aware of, uh, you know, germs in general and would have behaved themselves a little bit. Would you agree with me that you would think that like outside of like when coronavirus totally disappears, I would expect that we would see more just like uh, Purell in locations, more <laughs> soap availability, less people sneezing in public. I would have thought this might have been a uh, germaphobes revolution where even though the coronavirus was mostly fake and Fauci made it up and he wanted to push vaccines that are mostly harmful. And now they're even going to put warning labels on them that says that they're harmful. All that aside. As a germaphobe, I thought we were heading into a new reality where people were going to be more conscientious, where they were going to behave themselves better, where they weren't just going to be. You know what I would love, by the way, is if we lived in a reality where, like, if you sneezed in public, someone just took you away. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like a van just pulled up. Like, maybe they just let you around around the block. But, like, when is it going to be like if a dude's just, like, wet coughing on a train or sneezing? Like, I would have thought, because I'm not this person. I almost wish the world had more Louis J. Gomez's, but they were, like, uh, they were germaphobes. And, like, if someone sneezed on the other, they'd walk over, like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, are you sick? Why are you on this train right now? Why are you going to work? Was that a wet cough? What are you doing? Like, I will never be that guy, but I almost feel like the social etiquette wheel should have turned at this point that if you're clearly sick in public, people should be able to walk, like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, I, I think I agree with that 100%. But what you're not seeing, I do see a little bit more Purell here and there than normal, but you're not seeing any of that. You're not seeing, I think people might be more over it. Okay, so here's like... here's the most flagrant violator. I've always been grossed out when I'm in hotels that they just have the single bars of soap. Like, firstly, <laughs> I feel like, I, dude, I check things. I like a, I like four times checking for locked doors. That's my system. It's three times, one, two, three, go around the block, convince yourself it's still open, come back once more, make an even four. You feel good about your life. That's my system for locked doors. When it comes to washing my hands after shit, I'm a three person. I like to do twice in the bathroom. And then I leave the bathroom. I'm convinced myself, hey, my hands might still be dirty. And then I do it one more time in the kitchen sink. That's my move when it comes to, right? <laughs> but then that I'm talking with like liquid antibacterial soap. When you give me that shitty motel hand soap, I'm convinced that the shit's never off my hands. I'm just convinced I'm rubbing more shit all over the place. And then this drives me nuts. Sometimes there's one bar of soap and you're chilling. You're sharing a motel room with three of your friends. One guy take like how does shit germs work? Like if the shit germ, like if you put a turd on soap, is that just does it not exist on the soap anymore? Has the soup neutralized the shirt? Because otherwise, people are taking their shits, right? And then they're washing their hands, and then that's the only soap bar you got when you want to go take a shower. How does that work? Like, do shit germs not grow on soap bars? Like, has someone run this experiment? Motel soap bar. If I put a little shit on there, is it gone? Is it just neutralized? Are the germs of shit unavailable on that soap bar? Or when I go back to the shower with that same bar of soap, am I just rubbing shit all over myself? These are the kind of questions we need answered. And they should have been questions that you were asking in a pre-coronavirus world. In a post-coronavirus world, there's no excuse for uh, one bar of soap between the uh, the shower and the bat. Like, and then, you know what else is flagrant? If you're sharing the room with people, 
and, and there's one bar, you got to be rubbing that shit on your hand and using it. If I get in the shower and there's one fucking pube on there, <laughs> there's one bar of soap and you're going to rub that on your dick, dude? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have. I actually agree with that because you always wonder, is is the soap clean? Is yeah, it is always it clean? clean? soap? Like, how does that work? Because you use it to clean yourself. Right. Is it always clean? Or do you have to look like, like wash, wash your soap? soap. <laughs> yeah, you have to wash the soap. <laughs> That's, by the way, the greatest OCD product that could ever exist, like soap wash for uh, for the neurotic. I, I, let's do a commercial for that. Are you nervous that your soap isn't clean? I mean, how do you know it? You're just using that bar of soap. Someone might be uh, showering in your shower. They might have general herpes. They might be reckless hand washers. They might've used it to wash their ass. And now it's nothing but fecal matter. That's just a bar of fecal matter. What are you doing to wash your soap? By Rob Soap Wash, the only wash guaranteed to make your soap as good as new. <laughs> maybe, we, maybe we can get get that product out into the world. All right, so that's uh, that's the first thing I think uh, we need to fix. I'm happy that you agreed with me on that one. I thought it might have been uh, too neurotic. Do we got a, we got anyone in the room? We got a couple people. Yeah, what are the, what do you guys think? Uh, do you think soap bars are just clean because they are the cleaning utensil themselves? Or, you know, they're, they're, these guys are going to be right. Like, they're just going to be like, well, why don't you take it? And you just you wipe it on your hands and then, you know, you clean it off. But if it's real thin, you can't really do that. Nah. And then sometimes, like, if the place is cheap enough, it's not that easy to get their hands on more soap. What are people saying in the chat? Uh, so, uh, Anarka Ricky, Anarka Ricka, sorry if I did that wrong. They say I wash my soap with water. Yeah, that's what he's saying. I, I, they're so trying there's... to be practical, but they're just not getting, they're not getting what I'm putting down. Next topic, uh, Pork Fest was an absolute blast. Thank you to the uh, Free State Project for uh, having us up there. I didn't even realize last time how beautiful New Hampshire was. I think it must have been a little cloudier and we were only there for one day, but it was really beautiful. Uh, you get to see all the mountains. You can smell the freedom. It was a nice time. I think that was the biggest comedy show I've ever done. I think about 700 people showed up for it. It was not my best set ever, but I think it was a lot of fun. And, dude, it was really cool to pay, play to that many people. I've never played to... I don't think I've ever done a set for that many people, and I think there might have been 700 people at the show, which was, which was really fucking cool. I saw one of those. Uh, I saw somebody posted a video, and it looked like a good amount of people. Yeah, people, dude, people, lot. people came out. I also love live podcasting. I really want to do more live podcasting. That that was uh, that was a blast. It was just, uh, dude, it, it's just it's a thrill to see people come out and have have a good time, which is the most important thing. I uh, and while we're talking about plugging summer course show, there's only about five tickets left for Philly. Come out for Philly. Going to be there with the. Uh, um, with the Shedcast guys, VK Chris and Menu and Heart, full show, rap stuff, going to hang out, going to do some uh, run your mouth thing. And then we've got uh, Maryland the day after July 4th. We're going to be doing fireworks. That's a great hang. Private bar, big property. Always a good time with Max. Yeah. Uh, and then later in the summer, July 17th, Nat, I'm sorry, July 17th in Boston for the Smokeout Bugout, which is going to be an absolute bass by Kate. And then we've got Nashville and uh, Rochester at the end of the summer. You can go to RobbieTheFire.com. I will get all those links up there so you can grab them all from one place. Absolutely come out for the live shows because those are the most fun. Uh, here are the other highlights from the festival. Firstly, Kyle's always a good hang. He traveled all the way from Denver to come out. And then my friend Tom Moorman, he hopped in the car with us. I love the people that are just down. Like, hey, man, if you guys are going for a ride, I'm coming with. Uh, Kyle opened up the show for us. He was absolutely hilarious. Killed it right up front. Got the thing going. Tom was hanging out. He was a good time. And it was cool. I, I don't usually get to... Hang out with Davy Smith all that much, but sometimes in the car ride, like it's like fucking. I'm like, why isn't this on the show right now? Like yeah. we are fucking cooking in here. Get some sponsors on this. The fucking car ride. We should be putting this out as an episode. And that was cool because, like, we, you know, we do the show, but he's got the kid and he became very lame, so I don't get to see him that often. But every once in a while, you get him out on an overnight. 
Uh, and then here was the here was the highlight of the whole festival for me. I get off stage after the big show, and you're always dude, you're always wired after the show. And then I start uh, hitting the beers because I don't drink before uh, before I'm going up, smoking some weed. And then I go up, and we're like staying in the motel area, and they got porches. And you know how much I'm into porch and decks. <laughs> I mean, porch and decks are my scene. And then there's a guy up there, and he's got his grill set up, and he's grilling up burgers. On the on the porch, right? So, like, you're two for two right now. If you had a vagina on you, that's three for three. There's nothing more that we need, right? <laughs> so I get up there, and he's working the grill, and he's like, we got a couple sliders. I was like, yes, you cook up those sliders. And I went to my room. I had Shaw's London Broil, which is an excellent deli meat. We threw that on that. And then other people were drinking. I'm like, we're cooking up sandwiches. So we had slider burgers with the London Broil meat. And then he had a hot sauce that he bought from someone up there, which was like, dude, homemade hot sauce turns out to be good every time. Have you ever had, like, it's one of those things that someone says, hey, I made this hot. You're like, this is going to be gross. It always turns out good. Yeah, there's um, there's one guy in Stanford. I'll give him a shout out. It's called Pot Sauce. It's, it's a good. very good hot sauce he makes um, locally. That's like local breweries also. Every time I stop yeah. into some roadside, whatever, nine out of ten times, they're if they have the kind of IPAs I like, they're delicious. Yeah. I guess those are things that you don't realize that fre- like farm fresh quality hot sauce or beers is important, but there's <coughs> something to it. Yeah, maybe it's like uh, a small batch or something has to do with it. Maybe small batches are always better. Yeah, I love a lot. Like, I I really love hazy IPAs or like the 7.5 and up IPAs or New England style IPA. But I find you pull into like your little Mm. road stop like brewery. That shit's always good. Um, One of the negatives, though, this is gross. Twice while I was just hanging out and I was wearing long sleeve shirt, long sleeve pants all three days and twice. I reached into my pants. I felt something. I pulled a fucking tick off me, dude. Do you know how gross that is? One of them was on my dick, and then the other one, <laughs> three in the morning, someone came out drink. I'm like lying in bed, and like I feel, and I reached like right above my ass crack, fucking tick. Oh, and then I was God. just up. I had to like get in the shower, and there was no soap because I already mentioned that. <laughs> yeah. So now I'm bugging out that I'm taking a 3 a.m. shower, and then there's no soap. And then uh, you ever get this where you're so anxious, you're like, I just need to go for a walk because I'm like, I can't go back to sleep after that. But I was like, I can't go back outside. There's ticks out there. Yeah. Then I just felt trapped, you know, in the in the room. I finally went back to sleep fully clothed because I'm a maniac, uh, which is my own fault for not wearing sheath. If I was wearing sheath underwear, sheath, they got a much better strap on top. There's no way ticks are going to get into that. Plus, you got your balls and dick tucked away. So even if it managed to somehow get past that boxer top line, which it wasn't. I was wearing shitty, loose fruit of the loom that I've had for 100 years. The kind of thing that should only be worn from Michael Jordan with Hitler mustaches. If you're Michael Jordan, you're rocking a Hitler mustache. You can get away with your shitty fruit of the loom underwear. No one's like... Ugh, that's fucking fruit of loom. It's been sitting here a thing. I've heard that people can get tickets in those because the uh, the the top line just gives way. So it was my own fault for not wearing sheet that I ended up with the tick on my wiener and hopefully don't have Lyme's disease because I'm out here yelling about how everyone shouldn't be outside when they got germs and diseases. So what would that mean for my brand if I was out there, you know, just disseminating Lyme diseases over the people? Do you become a deer? Start acting like a deer? How do you know if you got Lyme's disease? <laughs> you just find yourself like bent over eating grass? Uh Anyways, what was I trying to say? Sheath underwear, especially as it's summer, best thing for working out. You use promo code, I think it's RYM, and you get like 20% off. Maybe it's promo code FIRE. You get the full endorsement for me. And go check out the RBG podcast with uh, Robert from Sheath, who's a very cool dude. All right, here was a uh, another uh, fun little moment that I had. I like to start hanging out with uh, more kids in like not a weird way. Like I don't know, like 7 to 14-year-old <laughs> boys is kind of becoming the fun market. Here's what happened. You ready for this? I went out 
I love going for a swim in the morning. If I'm at a hotel or shitty motel that doesn't have soap and I need to get chlorine on my hands that I can feel clean, I love going for a swim in the morning. That's kind of my move. It balances me out. Like getting into a pool is always annoying. Like getting to your gym with the pool. I think I deal with the other swimmers and the shower and the whole thing. But when you're at a hotel, ah, dude, I love going swimming some laps in the morning, especially a thing like this. You can, you know, show off this great bottom line, see if you track some women's strategy. It didn't work. But anyways, I'm out in the pool. And uh, I'm swimming my laps. I try and get there early before the kids show up. Because once the kids show up, they get in your lane. They're too stupid. You know what I mean? They're just too stupid. It's always a fat kid, by the way. It's always You always got the whole pool open. And then the fat kid wants to do a cannonball. Like, right in the, like, even if you stay to the side. Because you're an adult. And you're like, I'm not just going to take up the whole pool and ruin family time in the pool. And you try and go on a straight line. On the, there's always some fat kid who just is too uncoordinated to stay out of your way. So I tried to get there. But sometimes you start the pool party. People didn't realize the pool was open. So you get into the pool. The fat kid's like, and then you end up with fat kids in the pool. So anyways, I did about 20 minutes. So the fat kid ruined my time. And then I get out of the pool and uh, doing a set of pushups. And then there's some snotty nosed kid. Right. And he looks at me, he goes, you call that swimming? (laughs) And I'm like, I'm not going to be bullied by some snotty nosed kids. I turn around. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, that's not swimming. I bet I could beat you. I was like, all right, kid. What do you want to do? Lay down your terms. I will race you, you little, you little thin kid. Nice body. Who knew? Long arms. He had those long Michael Phelps arms. I was like, he might have something. And then I got really into it. I was like, man, I haven't been like challenged like this in forever. Like I was like, man, kids are fun. So I get back in the pool. I'm like, lay down your terms. He's like, all right, we're going to go to here. Free call crawl. And then we're going to do breaststroke. And I'm like, all right, kid. You asked for it. <laughs> so we get we get going. And, uh, you know, I feel like he was really talking some shit. So I smoked this kid. I mean, I totally smoked him. I didn't like I was like, he's old enough where I don't have to like make it like let him feel good. So I was like, I'm just going to go fair and square. If he beats me, my eagle can handle it. If not, I'm going to I'm just going to go. So I go and then we get to the other end. He looks up and he's like. How'd you do that? (laughs) (laughs) And then I realized the kid might have been autistic and I might have won it being more autistic that I didn't realize that he was autistic. So it wasn't as much a swimming race as it was who has worse skills than recognizing when they shouldn't be racing kids in a pool and beating them. Uh, But it's undetermined. You know, it's not like I got a full diagnosis on the kid. But the point I was trying to make is just hanging out with kids is fun because, like, when was the last time? I mean, I guess we never follow through because we're always in night drinking. But mm-hmm. otherwise, we, you know, we have challenged each other for races. But it was, like, just the full energy, like, that this kid was, like, first he shit kicked where he's, like, you call that swimming? Yeah. <laughs> I was, like, what do you mean, dude? You, might have, you could have just created the next Michael Phelps. Michael though. Phelps, though? You never know. Oh, that'd be a great story. Because he's, like, oh, that guy, I don't know how. I don't know how a grown man could have possibly yeah, beat Yeah, he's, me. like, he was fat. He had titties. I thought for sure I had this guy. And then he got into the pool, and he, he beat me. <laughs> All right. I like being out in nature. I like, uh, you know, I don't know. I, even now, like, sometimes I do my writing outdoors. I don't like as much I like the shed. The shed, it's a little bit small, but it's got shed vibes. You can feel the good energy from all the drugs that are done in it, from all of Mike Nice's late night masturbation sessions. <laughs> it's true. It's a small room, but it radiates that good drug masturbation energy that even though it's so contained, I feel comfortable in here. But generally speaking, I, I do kind of like the outdoors. Even in the morning, I start going for a walk. That's why I've been ranting in these geeses. They're trying to take over my little writing area, you know? I pay taxes. Are geese fucking paying taxes? What right do they have to this park? They got no fucking right to this park. I'm going to be teaming up with the turtles. I noticed that there were snapping turtles pretty soon. It's going to be me and the snapping turtles against these fucking geese. Anyways, what the fuck was I talking about? 
Um, oh, yeah, yeah, being out in uh, – all right, small towns that kind of suck, and here's why. Firstly, your store is always, like, closed at, like, 2 or 3 p.m., and then sometimes – here's what I figured out. Like, small towns have figured out bakeries. If you're in a small town and you go to their bakeries, usually their cookies are excellent. But, like, we all have this vision in our head of, like, the small town country stores – that are going to make like a more wholesome egg or like a better. And it's always sucks. Your pricing is never better. And the wait times they, you know, it's like everyone who comes into order shit has to like catch up on all the news of the entire fucking, it's like, just give me my goddamn cup of coffee. It's like all these small town stores almost look like, like uh, what the hipsters try and pose as, except the hipsters figured out how to have good service and just hand you the shit and have it actually be good. Versus what I'm trying to say is New Hampshire, I like you. I like you free state project people, but thus far, your sandwiches fucking suck in New Hampshire. Everywhere I've stopped, you got nothing good going on. We even stopped at a roadside diner that looks super authentic. Like, it looked legit. You know what I mean? Sometimes where you think you're finding, like, a roadside, like, and you think it's going to be so much better than anything you get anywhere near your house. And, like, it's going to be, I don't know, some sort of, like, American authentic. And it just fucking sucks. It, it, Dude, diners in, like, towns like Stanford are perfect. We got sandwiches down here. Cities are for sandwiches. I don't know. You got to like be barbecuing your own meat when you're out in the suburbs. Also, I had this moment where I went to some coffee place and uh, they gave me the cup with that little like hole in it. And so I was like, hey, uh, can I get a straw? An adult lady with like just has that baby voice like, well, it's a sippy cup. I'm like, yeah, but you got straws. <laughs> it just cut her down to nothing. Where I was like, I didn't even, I was just like, well, yeah, but you got to do like, no. Oh, one last thing from the festival. Be on the lookout for this. I went on an epic Hitler rant. I mean, this dude, he, he hit me up like after the show once I started drinking. And he's like, can I get an interview? Really nice guy. He was filming a whole bunch of stuff. I'm really bad with names in general. I apologize to everybody for that. Cool, dude. I think you got a bunch of great footage. But he asked me like, I, I thought he was like, can I get an interview? And now normally like once I start ramping up with like booze or whatever, like I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm done. But I was like, all right, this guy's been cool all weekend. Like I, I can handle an interview right now. And he just starts off and he goes like, so how does it feel to be the leader of this Nazi movement? <laughs> Which I was not expecting, but I was like, fuck it, I'm going to lean into this. And then I was just, dude, I was saying crazy shit. I was like, you just, uh, my feeling is you got to read Hitler in his own words. <laughs> I was like, you can't judge it till you've actually read Mein Kampf yourself. Uh, so be on the lookout for whatever that thing was, because it's probably going to be a career ruiner at some point. I hope I... Uh, Despite my baldness and neo-Nazi looks, people realize that I'm Jewish and kidding because I really sold my belief in uh, in a you know returning to a Nazi America. Uh, any more comments for us before we move into news topics? We got one says Fat Dave says hi. Oh, what's up, Fat Dave? I like that guy. Um, He's what? a best best shit poster on uh, Twitter. Props nice. to Fat Dave Smith. And uh, someone said geese are smarter than humans, which I don't. That can't be I don't true. agree with that. That can't be true. Uh, someone, I don't know what this word is. It says all you need is Bucky's. Maybe it's a hot sauce. Maybe I don't, I don't remember when we were talking about that. Yeah. Sounds like a dude who would fuck you in your ass. <laughs> someone wrote, good thing you already got doxxed. You moron, change your name. I, so, don't, I don't know what that is. I don't know okay. what that is. And then Hitler just had a struggle. Don't judge him. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's get into the news. Before we do that, let's shout out to uh, Yo Delta, where uh, you can get yourself all of the legal. Uh, if you're over the age of 21, you're already into this stuff. Go load up, dude. The edibles are legit. The vape pens are going to fuck you up. You don't have to be tracking down your dealer. You don't need to be smoking no weed. Just go to YoDelta.com and load up on all of your getting high needs. All right, here comes a good burp, and then we're going to get into the next story. You ready for this burp? Uh, that was a pretty good one. That wasn't bad. That was pretty good. Uh, next week, I'm going to come in here with perfect, perfect burps. Legendary. Maybe we'll make that a part of the... Of, uh, 
of a uh, smoke out bug out like bong burps. You know, that's not a bad one. Fucking uh, Sid is fucking really good at burping for whatever. Really? Reason. Yeah, I don't know what it is, but he's a, he likes burping. So I don't think we should add it. Maybe that we could do him... a seltzer chug out of bongs, but like clean bongs. No, hit it, take a rip. Then and you then have to you chug, chug the seltzer. Uh, and then whoever has the best burp. Yeah. And then if smoke has to come out with the burp and stuff, that'd be cool. Oh, that's a tough one. That'd be tough. Maybe we can make <laughs> a part of Bong Olympics. Get your tickets. July 17th. Smoke out, bug out. All right. Um, There was, I believe, the first case of sentencing for the uh, Capitol Hill mall walk around. Don't believe the news when they tell you it was a riot. Most people weren't riding. They were taking pictures. They were looking for Santa to see where they could get their uh, sit on his lap and feel a little erection, feel alive a little bit. We all remember what it's like going to the mall as a little kid. You're just trying to relive these memories. Did you ever have that where you sat on uh, Santa's lap and felt his dick? Uh, I didn't know. I never felt I never felt because you had uh, the long hair. So he could have thought you were a thin girl. I did actually sit on his lap with my daughter. Which is a little weird. What daughter on your lap? So no, you because the because uh, no 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 because she was young, so she oh, was too scared to sit on the. Uh, that's a smart kid you got there. Yeah, yeah. She knows <laughs> that anyone who is an adult's job is just having kids sit on their lap is probably a creep. Uh, all right, first dude get. I mean, it was the first person they had the sentencing. She got like five hundred dollar fine, a whole bunch of community service, not going to jail, not going to jail. I think the judge had sympathy on her because she was a lady. And so here's what I think you got to do. If you're out there, if you're a person who's a part of the Capitol Hill riots, you got to start transitioning into being a woman. You got to do it now. You, you don't have to go with the whole, uh, you don't have to slice any dicks off. You don't have to get the hormone treatments. You just throw on a wig. You show up and you say, listen, I would, yes, that was a different person, I'm a, but I'm a lady now. And so <laughs> you should have sympathy on me because I'm a lady and not just am I a lady. The reason why I was so out of control on that day is because I was still trying to be a male and I've always been a female. And so it was like a temporary insanity because I wasn't identifying as my true identity. They're not throwing that person into jail. So if you're worried about going to jail because you uh, maybe participated after the CIA opened up the door for the buildings for you and then yelled at you, hey, we're getting in there because there's free lottery tickets inside. And Nancy Pelosi has left the demon blood. And if you drink that, you'll never die and you'll have supreme power. That's the real reports. I read QAnon, so I know what's going on. They were opening up the doors, and they're screaming to the crowd, yeah, get in there. You got to get some of the baby blood from Nancy Pelosi. You rub it on your skin, and your tits grow really big and nice, and uh, you can really figure out how to say things that will keep you in power for a long time. That's what they were yelling. I got I got firsthand reports from, from the QAnon people, and so people were tricked. They were running in there trying to get a hold of uh, Nancy Pelosi's baby blood supply. Uh and so the point being, I feel bad for you. I feel bad that you were tricked by the CIA to go walk around that building and take nice pictures without having to wait on the line. And so if you want to go get get a, get around the whole thing, just uh, you got to transition into a lady before your uh, before your sentencing. I mean, that's a great that's a great legal plan there. Any uh, any questions, comments, thoughts or concerns? Any other ideas for how people can get away with this? Uh, yeah, just say Trump told me to do it, I think, right? I don't think that's going to that work. That doesn't work anymore, huh? Yeah, no, no. Yeah, I guess not. Because now it's like, well, you should have known Trump was a lying idiot. That's what they're, <laughs> like. they're like. Obviously, <laughs> you know. All right. Anyone know what's going on with the Arizona election audit? I just keep seeing scattered articles of people being like, you can't trust this thing, uh, which is interesting because it's like, you know, I, I think I already told the joke that we're going to like be auditing the auditors. But if you actually got the inside scoop on what the hell's going on there, I am interested. I'm tired of trying to differentiate what side is lying 
which I guess is the job. I guess that's what the job here would be is for me to sit down and go, hey, I researched it. Here's my opinion. So I guess that's a pretty lazy approach. But Rob's Newsroom at gmail.com. I'm not seeing good information about what's going on in Arizona. So if you've got the inside scoop, let me know. Uh, all right. Next, I'm going to play a video for you in a second, which is uh, out in the Senate. You know, uh, Ted Cruz got into a little uh, thing with that dumb lady from Hawaii. I think she's from Hawaii. Either way, she's definitely dumb. There, there's no confusion about her being dumb. I'm not 100% on her being from Hawaii, but I am 100% on her being uh, mostly brain dead. Uh, okay, maybe I can race her in a pool race. <laughs> uh, okay, so there was this thing where, you know, she was, uh, you know, squabbling with uh, Ted Cruz. And she interrupted the proceedings with asking for a point of personal privilege. Mr. Nice, yeah. are you familiar with this concept of point of personal privilege? I am. I do know of it and I've seen it used a couple of times, but uh, I think it's basically saying like, uh, I'm a piece of shit, but I'm about to make a point. Is that I, what it means? Yes, it it's basically that it, it's basically the most obnoxious way of just interrupting somebody. That's all <laughs> you're really doing is going like, hey, I know you're talking, but I want to say something now. But you, but you put before a point of personal privilege and is there like a cap on it? Like if at every single meeting, one person got one point of personal privilege, I could be okay with that. Like you get, you get your one card and you're saying, Hey, I got my one card and this is going to be the one time I'm going to interrupt. And other than that, I'm going to shut the fuck up. And so I'm using, you know, I'm using my one card right now. And then it's like a wild card. If you're playing a game, you get a wild card. You got your D and everyone's like, fuck, he just had a wild, he had that wild card the whole time. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. But you, but then once you blow your load, you know what I mean? There's no, there's no blue choose here. There's no quick rebounding. You get one point of personal privilege, like the same way you get to flow. I mean, in football, you get your flags back. If it was good, maybe if it's good, it could be like in football with the flags, you get it back. If like you challenge the ruling on the field mm -hmm. and your challenge stands, you're allowed to have another challenge, which I get because it's like your interruption actually facilitated something good. But like that would create a whole sea of point of per, per, point of personal privileges against this guy's point of personal per, point of <laughs> personal privilege to see if it was a good interruption. You know what I mean? You need like a secondary committee to referee whether or not the interruption actually helped facilitate the meeting, which would create a whole other thing of <laughs> argument. So I don't really know how this would work in practice, but I don't really understand. It's like you got, which we're going to see in a second. Ted Cruz. They don't give him. Uh, the time to finish what he was doing, which uh, people always go over. That's the whole game is that they, and then, and then they always complain, but everyone else got to go over. It's just a game of complaining that goes, well, we, now we need the decorum because I'm noticing everyone's going over. And then Ted Cruz is going, that's not fair. And then, and then they're hitting gavels, 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 gavels. And then dumb bitch goes point of person and everything shuts down. They're like, you know what? We weren't going to stop for the gavels. We weren't going to stop so that Ted Cruz can have a couple extra minutes here. But if someone's in, in, indicting a point of personal privilege and then Ted Cruz realizes, oh, I guess point of, point of personal privilege is the magic spell. So then he starts going, I want points of personal privilege. Uh, let's roll a little bit of the tapes that you can see uh, the stupidity of what was getting in the way of woke meetings now becoming a part of the official procedure on the Senate floor. Mr. Nice, roll the tape. And I'd like to let, let us know if you can hear this audio, too. Oh, I can't hear the audio. Uh, is this what? Yeah, boost it, boost it. Court has laid out for judges to follow, and I cannot ignore it. I have to follow the rules of it in the cases where it is appropriate. But do you agree with Senator? Senator's, Senator's time, time has expired. That, that that those are the reasons. The senator's time has expired. Senator Padilla is recognized for five. You minutes. know, this is a committee where we've had a little bit of comedy, and 
I recognize the senator also on this generally don't have the chairman trying to jump in on 30 seconds in. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Of course, fine. These questions answered. fine. Senator Cruz, your comment is noted, and Senator Padilla, thank you, Thank you, Chairman. Also, I don't want these questions answered. What a personal privilege. Senator Verona. I would request that my colleague, Senator Cruz, not misstate, misstate what I'm saying. And you know what? All this mansplaining. Stuff. All right. Can you pause for a second? Senator. She can't even stick the landing on mansplaining. That's how dumb she is. Like, it's the one word that once you say that, no one's allowed to have an opinion that argues with you. That's mansplaining. But you can't even stick the landing on it. Or mansplaining. She's man. He's mansplaining. Is that mansplaining? He's slaying me? That man is slaying me. I feel violated. All right, let's roll a little bit more of the tape because she claims that Ted Cruz for having a different opinion than her is mansplaining. By the way, she's making everyone who's ever used the word mansplaining look bad because if you actually need someone to explain something to you because you don't get it, then is uh, like, I, I don't know. what. Do I, how do you categorize mansplaining versus just explain? Like if you're wrong and a man, so is that a negative? Like, I don't know. If you're, if you're trying to fill your car by just putting the gas into the trunk, like should a dude tell you like, hey, you, you want to put that into the thing over here? Mm -hmm. uh or would that be mansplaining like or is it you you explain it first and then if it was something that they didn't get then retroactively it was helpful but if it was something that they already understood then i would have thought mansplaining is that a woman already understands it and you're talking to her like she didn't get it and so now you're mansplaining because you're making it seem like you would have only known it because you were a dude i don't know you you know how this works no, that's exactly right. If you're a guy, you can't explain to a woman how to do You can't explain anything. No. Even if they're getting it wrong, yeah, I'm you're, pretty sure. you're, you're not helping them out by... So but like, so men can't be professors anymore because then that would be mansplaining. Or if like I'm a doctor and I'm teaching you how to do like the heart surgery because I've been doing it for 30 years, that, that, like, that would also... Or do you hit certain like qualifications in life where you're allowed to explain without it being man, mansplaining? That, maybe that's what it is. If you're credentialed outside of just your gender... Then you can explain something, but if not, but in this case, Ted Cruz, you know, I think, I mean, listen, Ted Cruz is a bit of a putz in his own way because he's extremely unlikable, uh, but I think he's actually kind of smart and uh, good with the law. So he might actually have some expertise here, which would allow him to explain it. Mike, nice. I'll, I'll turn it back to you. I'm not as familiar with the way of the stupid. So I don't under, quite understand how mansplaining is supposed to work. I didn't ex understand it either, but it's basically Maybe we need a man to explain this. To yeah, us. exactly. Or we need a femsplain. <laughs> we need a we need a female who can come in and explain to us exactly what the uh, criticism of mansplaining is. I'm sorry, I cut you off. No, I, I didn't get it at first either, because I just the only time I've heard of it is like if when you try to like I like I think it's like if you explain to a woman something that they already know. Right. Then, then it's like you think they're stupid, so you must you have to explain it. I think right. that's where it originated. From. So then, in this case, by definition, if uh, if he's miscategorizing what you're saying, he's not telling you something that you don't that you already understand because he's saying something different than he understood, right? Yeah. So you can't categorize that as mansplaining. No. All right. Well, let's uh, let's continue to roll the tape, and uh, hopefully, we can come out of this a little bit dumber. So let's listen to more of the senator from Hawaii. What mis what was mischaracterized, Senator Rona? You just said I mischaracterized something. Of course, my Senator Rona just said I mischaracterized something. You said so. I am asking her what was mischaracterized. You are welcome to explain what was characterized, Mr. Chair. Mr. Chair, before my okay
Okay, so you're not going to explain Senator Cruz, with this character. Everyone bear with me. Senator Cruz, you may respond. Senator Barone. Pause it for a second. Isn't that great? It's like, well, I yeah, I just, I just did. <laughs> I, thank you. I guess, sure, I can repeat myself because clearly she didn't understand what I was trying to say, which is just, hey, here's the floor. I'm sorry for mansplaining. Why don't you at least uh, validate your claim, which, of course, you can't do. So continue. I described what Senator Hirono said. I asked the judge if he agreed with, with her defense uh, that he should not embrace originalism because it would not allow him to reach outcomes that she favored. She's now come back and said that was a mischaracterization of what she said. And so I'm inquiring what is mischaracterized? Mr. Chairman, very briefly, because otherwise, you know, the thing with my colleague is he always has to get the last word, and that is a fact. But the, one of the ways mischaracterized is that I do not object to originalism as applied because it results in decisions that I don't agree with. I disagree with the way that the court proceeded in, in some of the members of the court and how they proceed with the originalism, the originalism to get to the results that they want. So that's it. Is it not accurate that you said you thought originalism shouldn't be? All right. I think that's enough of that. Go for it. I think I think what they're saying, basically, she's like, don't try and tell me what my words mean. Right. When he's like when he's just kind of going on saying, well, what I from what you said, this is what I'm getting out of it. And she's trying to tell him, no, you're mansplaining what I said. So it's like if I told you something and you were like, oh, is this what you meant? I'd be like, stop trying to mansplain to me. But okay, so for example, let's say I was a lady and I said, hey, I think you should put all your money into this asset. And I said, well, that's actually one of the riskiest stocks right now. And I'm looking at mm-hmm. the trading volume and I think you'd lose all your money. And she would say, hey, that's mansplaining to me. So even if you take what they said and you go, here's the implication of that, that um, yes, with originalism, you're guaranteeing that you're basically saying, hey, listen, I don't want people to be judges or do their job. I just want to make sure that I can get people in that will just enforce what I'm looking for, even though mm-hmm. it's not in the constitution. And she's like, well, I'm not saying that. I don't, don't, don't reinterpret my position. The problem with people like this and stupid people in general is that they have no shame about being stupid. Like they don't, they don't even are aware of the fact that they're not supposed to have opinions. And it's not like, you know what I mean? Like ugly people, they don't go to beauty pageants because they realize that they're ugly, but like people like this, they just don't realize that, you know, they shouldn't have opinions. I, I, I'd love to know the local Hawaii politics that a person like this can get elected. It, like it, yeah. it, it makes the whole state, you know, yeah, yeah. they're all too busy chilling on the beaches. All right. Here was another uh, crazy uh, video that we'll break down for you. Uh, and it's about critical race theory. And I got to be honest, I'm not that familiar with uh, critical race theory. Honestly, I don't even know how I got through my life till now because it's critical. So I don't know how I've survived for 33 years without this because with the name like critical race theory, I'm assuming that if you got a mentally handicapped person, you teaches them like they'll probably be fine. And if like you're a normal person and no one teaches you critical race theory, you're just going to be leaving school, tripping over yourself, unable to, you know, get any sort of an income because this thing's critical. I mean, there's literally nothing more important that we could possibly be teaching in schools than whatever this critical race theory is. So here is a little almost debate that took place on MSNBC. We're not going to watch all of it, but just in case you were otherwise enjoying your Saturday and you wanted to be infuriated by random women trying to engage in debate, uh, here's another video. Roll the tape, Mr. Nice. You say that Kent, that uh, Ibram Kendi, Dr. Ibram Kendi, is a college professor. You call him the guru of critical race theory. 
So we reached out to him. Uh, I've interviewed him before. So we reached out to him because you say he's the guru of critical race theory. You name him a lot in a lot of your, both in your manifesto or your, your talking points memo, but also in your video. We reached out to him. We asked him, all, we, asked, we asked him if he's a critical race theorist. He said, I admire critical race theory, but I don't identify as a critical race theorist. I'm not a legal scholar, so I wasn't trained on critical race theory. I'm a historian. And Chris would know this if he actually read my work or understood that critical race theory is taught in law schools. I didn't attend law school, which is where critical race theory is taught. It's really the only place it's taught. We, 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 NBC is well into everywhere, and it's not taught in elementary school. But hold on can you pause for one second? This is the second thing. He, this is the first thing that was interesting to me is that uh, this seems to be their new argument that as critical race theory has uh, people have been taking issue with it. Now they're almost converting their claim and going, hey, critical race theory, they don't actually teach that to kinder. And I don't think anyone's saying they actually sit down and go, hey, here's the theory. Here's the person that did it. And here's the scholarly arguments. I think they're saying that the scholarship of critical race theory has now influenced curriculums where ideas such as we should see color and actively be anti-racist and make sure that we're, I, I don't even really know what, like I said, I'm not that educating critical race theory, but I honestly don't think anyone was saying that the uh, legal version of it that's taught in law school is being taught to kindergartners. I think what they're saying is the scholarship has been adopted to school curriculums. So this is like the new talking point is it's become kind of people going, hey, this critical race theory is not a good idea for kids. Is now they're like backpedaling already and going, well, yeah, of course, we would never teach that to kids. They're not teaching that to kids. And now I guess they're going to try and find a new label for what we're, we're trying to teach kids about uh, the equalness of equality so that everyone can feel good. I, I mean, I don't know how they're going to spin it. Uh, critical race theory, a name like that was already kind of pushing as far as you could go with a pretty grand title for whatever the hell the thing was. Uh, but anyways, it's interesting to me that after just one week of bad press, I think she's conceding. That sounds, would you agree with me? That's a concession that critical race theory should not be taught to kids. You know, it's almost like that's her claim. It's like, that's not what's being taught to kids because it sounds like even to her, that would be a bad idea. Kids shouldn't be learning critical race theory. So maybe now we should be having the discussion of is what we're teaching actually you know a watered down or a more kid accessible version of that exact academic theory but let's listen to a little bit more what we lose volume here it's my show so it's it's how i want to do it so let me let me read you one more quote from him because you've made a lot of claims about critical race theory saying that white Americans are inherently racist, that, that racism is inherent to whiteness. Um, and that is one of the core charges that you're making about, you know, these sort of what you consider like sort of woke studies in school. This is what Ibram Kendi has said in his own words. He said, we've been taught that racist is essential to who a person is. It's a fixed category. It's in someone's heart. That's one of the reasons why people are unwilling to or unable to admit the times in which they're being racist, because it's not just admitting I was being racist in that moment. Basically, we're tattooing racist on our forehead for the rest of our lives. Isn't that the opposite of what you're arguing? Well, I'll say two things. First of all, it's very interesting to me that so many people are now running away from the race of uh, the, 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 the no, label of critical race theory. But he's I'm not a critical race theorist. Hold on. I'm going to quote two critical race theorists, Barbara Applebaum with the book, Being Good, Being White. She says, quote, All right, we can stop it here. I'm already bored of this. Mm -hmm. uh, you guys can go watch this video, but she starts talking to him like he's a dog where it's like, so I, 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 boy, I know you're just trying to kill people, boy. I know that's what you're looking for here. I know that you're secretly a racist and you're just trying to get other people to be racist. Isn't that right? 
Isn't that why you came onto my program? Just to teach everyone that they want to be a racist? It's literally like listening to a uh, dog owner talk to their dog. Uh, and I don't know how anybody could stay in that pocket and be calm while talking to a person who's talking to them, like, and cutting them off and treating them. And the only thing I can think of is loading up on your kratom. That's really the only way you're possibly going to be able to get through something like this. So if you've got people in your life that you got to deal with that are this terrible and you're trying to be cool, calm, and collected without me advocating for anybody doing something that they don't already enjoy of being over the age of 21 using a responsible matter. But you know what's responsible? When you got to deal with situations that are going to make you this fucking, like, just lose your mind, want to crawl out of your skin, and, you know, I don't know. What, what does that make you want to do? Uh, I'm sorry to repeat that. What? Sorry to repeat that. That's no, okay. <laughs> you can listen to me on the next one. <laughs> Go get yourself your Kratom. Yo, yo, no, your Kratom. I did take the concentrate last night, though. It made me feel real nice. Hell yeah. Home of the $60 kilo. Nowhere else in the world are you going to get yourself a full kilo of Kratom. And uh, it's great for staying cool, calm, and collected when, uh, you know, people are treating you like uh, you're a dog. Okay. Last topic I want to get into here is um, crypto. It's actually not the last topic. I got a couple more topics, but I don't have any water. So I might talk myself tired again without getting into this whole slavery Supreme Court thing. It might be week two in a row where I have too many topics on the table. A couple things I saw in crypto. Uh, and next week, I'm going to do a deeper dive into Ethereum. Because uh, I keep buying it and I don't really know how it works and that's really stupid of me. But uh, I'm very curious to learn about staking Ethereum 2.0. The article that most caught my headline was last week I was talking about are the banks going to start using some sort of a blockchain technology and circumventing the entire infrastructure that we feel like we're getting in early on? Are, are there profits on the table that are going to exist because of blockchain and this new technology? And are the big banks going to somehow circumvent the... Uh, the great idea of the free market and build an infrastructure where since they are processing so many more transactions uh, and it's this uh, needing to use a currency game that I described last week with Gambo coin, you can go listen to that. Are they somehow going to beat us? So here's what's interesting. JP Morgan just started its own crypto. It's pegged to the dollar. And the reason why they're using it, it's on uh, ONYX, the Onyx, whatever, is because now they can validate more easily the repo transactions. So there's now going to be heavy volume. Uh, uh, Goldman Sachs tapped into this and it must be sanctioned by the government because these people basically are the government through the Fed. So you've got this new uh, Onyx network that's going to be used to handle repo transactions. And uh, although don't understand why you need the blockchain technology for this to be working in a more efficient manner, it is being used in a blockchain technology. So now here's the question. Are they building some sort of a new network? that is going to handle all the financial transactions so that you and I, our investors and whatever, are not going to see any of this money. Or I believe Onyx is actually using Ethereum 2.0 protocol. I don't understand how they're using Ethereum 2.0 when I thought we were still on Ethereum 1.0 until they turn it over to proof of stake instead of proof of whatever. Things I don't understand, but I'm putting my money into anyway. So hopefully next year, next week we'll get an expert on who can uh, answer some of these questions for us. If you know someone who would be good, robsnewsroom at gmail.com. If not, I think i got two people I want to talk to about this. So we're going to do a full episode on that because I do think it's very interesting. The other bear case for cryptos, and now I know all of you guys are like, hey, just get yourself a wallet. Don't be on any of the exchanges. But on the same point, we point of privilege, we're all trying to say that we need to bring in your mainstream people. you got to bring in... Uh, your mom and pops, your pension funds. And guess what? Firstly, I'm a putz. I don't want a wallet. I'll lose a wallet. I don't want a ton of money on a wallet. That, that doesn't work for me. 
Like I'm just, I'm a putsy person. I will lose a wallet. I will lose a key. I will, I'm, I am that idiot. I'm the person who will put his life savings into a key. And then, you know, maybe what we need is uh, the rectal key, which is like a very good thing that you can really hide in your ass, like old prison style. And then you can be certain that you're not going to lose it. Except the way that I sometimes blast diarrhea out of my asshole, there's no question I ended up flushing it. Wouldn't that be a fun movie <laughs> where you got to like get, you got to like break into the sewer system late at night to try and find your rectal uh, thing that has your crypto key in it with billions of dollars. It's like reverse Shawshank redemption. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Outside <laughs> of the place trying to crawl through the sewer lines to get in. Anyways, there was an incident out in, uh, in Africa where, uh, one of these, uh, crypto places, obviously it's Africa. I get that that's not Coinbase. I get that that's not Gemini. But part of the argument here for crypto is that we're going to have access for all these people that don't have typical access to capital, that all these people in third world countries, Bitcoin and these other technologies are going to be the thing that saves them, that allows them to have a steady currency that they can interact with and all the fees because of the mass amounts of people. I'm not saying that that won't happen. And I'm not saying that like any other industry, you don't have bad actors. And over time, uh, they are got they, people do get rid of them. I am saying that headlines like this don't make us look good. And I also wonder as a person who has their money in both Gemini and Coinbase, I, uh, and probably won't move it to a hard wallet cause I don't want to actually have to learn how to do that. And like I said, I'm a putz. Maybe we could turn the walls of the shed into the hard wallet, like one big cable. I don't know. I don't know what the fuck I'm saying anymore. <laughs> uh, anyways, just kind of thought that those were two interesting developments in regards to crypto. Hopefully next week we'll do a deeper dive. Or maybe I'll just continue to read headlines and misconstruing the stories because we're also pretty good at that. Uh, you're you're in on uh, a little crypto yourself. I'm in on a bunch, actually. Yeah. And I actually already started staking my Ethereum. How do you stake? It's just the Coinbase gives you the option. But what okay. happens is it you puts your Ethereum that you're staking on hold. You're not allowed to touch it anymore. Yeah, I'm fine with that. And then the, the Ethereum 2.0 right. is not actually usable yet. Right. So you're staking to gain 2.0. How do I do that? I think your Coinbase just gives you an option how much Ethereum you want to stake. You just put in. Dude, I'll stake it all, dude. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm all for staking. Yeah, I, I mean, love stakes. I think it's good. And you're getting, um, I think it's like a five percent back APR. Yeah. Yeah. There's like, there's two cryptos that I'm in just for the APR. Right. Because they give What's back. What's the other one? Uh, Cordano, I think it was, and Wait, or um, Algo, Algorand gives you six percent back on the year. Uh, whatever you're holding. I didn't know Coinbase was doing the because I've been doing that with uh, on Gemini with all my shit is getting the the APY. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. APY. Yeah, yeah. That's what I don't know if that's about what is that annual annual percentage yield. Yeah, or how something? much you get per year? Per year. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's better though than if it's if it's at least if it's sitting right. there, you're getting something. Right. However, if it's just a uh, banks are a fucking financial scam backed by the U.S. government, and so. They can be the scammiest of the scammiest and Ponzi mm -hmm. as much as they want. And the U.S. government's going to bail them out. I would have right. to assume that both Gemini and Coinbase are also um, even beyond the staking, which is essentially you saying, yes, I will lend my money to the bank for them to. Mm -hmm. They're probably just using it for like other transactions. I would I would venture to guess that they're not investing that money. But at the end of the day, I'm willing to bet that those every time like a gambling website goes down, they're always a Ponzi scheme because mm -hmm. like they're operating like a bank. They go, hey. You know, a million dollars in deposits came out today. We know how how often people are taking money out. So it, 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 I, I'm sure you can have a run on Coinbase or a run on Gemini. Not saying that that definitely will happen, uh, but I'm just saying it's uh, it certainly is a possibility. All right, moving on. Uh, 
And any other sponsors we're supposed to plug? Uh, I don't think so. So check out the Shedcast, Summer Porch Tour, Black Captain, Yo Delta, Yo Kratom Sheet. There you go. Go go spend some money because uh, it's not going to be worth anything soon enough anyways. Uh, here's some random flawed arguments that I've had people say to me in conversation or otherwise. And so I just want to flag them. And then we're going to move into the uh, Supreme Court thing and call it a day. One is every once in a while I see people screaming that, comedy or like comedians on podcast are spreading ideas that will lead to violence. And I just want to put forward that until that happens, even once it's an unsubstantiated claim. It is no different than me saying uh, that since my urinal, uh, I mean, my toilet, like, you know, flushes clockwise, people are losing their hair in Malaysia. You know, it, it is an unsubstantiated claim. There has yet to be a single incident where one person did something that was violent and said, I did this because I heard this from a comedian on a podcast. And even if it were to happen, there are like, it's no different than what happened with the Capitol riot. And then we said, well, Trump's not responsible for it because, you know, politicians who are actually making statements of policy and politicking and things going on in the country, we've even said that they're not responsible for in, um, for instigational words or words that are instigating because that's the interpretation of that individual. So if even politicians such as, uh, I think it's Macy, um, who's the black lady who they were arguing after the Capitol riots, because she was making really insightful claims of, Hey, you should go bother your Republican people in Senate. I forgot forgot, Maxine waters. I think her name is Maxine waters. Anyways, if even politicians were actually um, important people determining policy and making real statements about individuals and what's going on in this country, when they say, hey, these other people are a threat, or you could say that they're rising people up to violence, that is not considered something that they can be held accountable for, right? So then how can you possibly stretch it to comedians who are saying jokes or otherwise are somehow leading to violence? I think that that needs to be something that culturally we just go, hey, that's not logical. It's not true. Quit saying it. It's just a totally unsubstantiated claim. Any rebuttal from you, Mr. Nice? Yeah, I don't agree with any of that. I think if, especially if you uh, pay to go to a show and then you're going to take that to go like cause violence, that doesn't make sense to me. Right. It's a happy place. So yeah. It's a happy place. Just trying <clears throat> to tell some jokes. The other one is, and I was actually having a conversation with, uh, with a fellow uh, Jewish friend of mine. And I feel like sometimes uh, there's a logic of anti-Semitism that seems to suggest that there are negative things that exist in the world that if it weren't for Jews would not exist. And so in this case, my friend was making the argument that the proliferation of pornography and a sexual cultural culture uh, that is highly negative is been mostly uh, proliferated by Jews. And I just want to make an economic argument against that, that it would seem to me that there's a market for porn and that if a single Jewish person never existed on the planet, like, do we really think that other people wouldn't have figured out porn or that there would be no market for it? There's not a single like no one in the world would say, hey, I want this thing. And then other cultures would have figured out how to get it to them. It just seems very economically ignorant to suggest that, like, Jews have created the demand and market for porn. And then if they didn't exist, like porn would not exist in the world. I just can't, I can't imagine that that be true. And then even the fed, which I, I, I will yell against the fed and I got to, I got an act in my joke right now, which kind of like borders on being an anti-Semitic joke of that Jews are responsible for the fed. You can come out. The joke's funny. When I talk about the joke, it's not funny, but I promise you, they will be like, <laughs> Oh, that was the joke he was talking about. It's pretty funny. But then even the fed, Right. And yes, there's a bad track record of it being kind of run by Jews of like Greenspan's, Yellen's, Bernanke's. There's a whole bunch of them. It wasn't founded by the Jews. 
You know what I mean? It's like, even if those people didn't exist, you don't, you really think the fed would not exist. Like really Jews sat down, they dreamt it up and like, they've been running it like the entire time. I, I'm going to argue not. I'm going to argue that JP Morgan figured out basically how to get that thing off the ground. He's worked with a lot of non-Jewish politicians. And if it wasn't for a single one of those, uh, uh, Jews that managed to rise to the top of that system and be the people who were in control over there, it would still exist and it would probably be doing exactly what it's doing. I don't believe for one second, or at least it's an unsubstantiated claim, which you probably can't possibly prove because you have to remove all Jews from the planet and then go, oh, look at how much of a utopia this is. And I mean, do you really think like that's the one negative force in the world is Jews? As a Jew hater yourself, you got anything on that one, Mr. Nice? I love the Jews. Thank you. I mean, you welcome me into your set on a weekly basis just to uh, yell for, you know. Okay. Now, Supreme Court case had, I just thought this was funny. On the day that everyone was yelling about, like, uh, Juneteenth and, you know, if there's ever been a day to get off, it would be that one. Uh, the people are yelling about how hey, we're going to have off because, you know, slaves finally figured out that they didn't have to be uh, slaves anymore. And then, you know, I don't know what happened from there because I'm ignorant of history. But on that same day, there was a Supreme Court case against Nestle for uh, buying products from a uh, from a place in, I, I believe it was in Africa, that supposedly is uh, being run off of slave labor. Now, here what was very funny about this case. I've said before that it seems to me like the Supreme Court is lazy. They don't actually want to do their jobs. When things that are epically interesting come across their desk, such as do governors have the power to restrict your freedom because of viruses? They go, hey, we're not going to rule on this aspect of it, but we can tell you that it's a violation of the religious freedom thing because it's not being equally applied. But the more interesting part of the law of whether or not governors even have the power to do this and whether or not we're going to refrain temporarily from the spirit of the Constitution, that we're not going to look at because we're lazy and we don't really want to, we don't really care about laws so we're not really looking to investigate these things. We'll just go with the easier option for how we can throw this one out of court and screw everybody else over that hasn't had the financial resources to actually show up here and say, and by the way, we know that Fauci is going to, you know, quit pretending like the virus is going to kill people and you can get back to your lives soon anyway. Anyways, so why would we do an audit of government to say how terrible they are? So in this case, similar things happen. I don't know how many years it took for these people who were claiming to have been slaves to finally get in front of the Supreme Court to possibly get payment for their time. Uh, you know, it's a little bit of retribution for not being paid for years of labor on cocoa plants of things that exclusively ended up, I believe, in Nestle and maybe it was Cadbury products. I know Nestle for sure. Uh, so what's funny is, you know, they finally take some 10 years. They finally get to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court basically just is a bigger version of the DMV. Where they're like, you got to talk to Congress. This is the wrong window. <laughs> I get that it took you 10 years to get here and you got all your paperwork in order, but it's the wrong department. You got to go talk to these guys. And they're like, well, how do we get in front of these guys? They're like, listen, I don't know. I'm just the, uh, I, it's, it's exactly like the DMV. I don't know. Well, how do you not know? You're the people I got to talk to about cars and shit. And they're like, well, no, you got to go on that line. And then that line is going to tell you which form to go to. Well, I was in that line. They gave me the form. They told me to come. Sorry, it's the wrong window. Uh, all right, so here's the short scoop on the case. And first is I will read this one paragraph from the case. Don't worry, I'm not going to read that much of this stuff. Petitioners, Nestle USA and Cargill are U.S.-based companies that purchase, process, and sell cocoa. They do not own or operate farms in Ivory Coast, but they did buy cocoa from farms located there. They also provided those farms with technical and financial resources such as training, fertilizer, tools, and cash in exchange for the exclusive right to purchase cocoa 
respondents allege that they were enslaved on some of those farms. So two things to note here. Firstly, just like last week when I said they don't even want to investigate, like what happened with uh, the claim with the COVID-19 shots, where they're like, we're not even going to look into whether or not these are harmful. Same thing happens here, where they go, we don't even need to look into whether or not these people were slaves, because even if they were slaves, we don't have the, well, I'm jumping ahead to the ruling. We don't have the enforcement power to look at this. This would be an issue for Congress, not for the Supreme Court. In other words, being, meaning that firstly, they don't even look into whether or not the claim is true. But and I would argue that that means that this is an even if true, because even if it turns out that they were slaves or horrible things happened to them, uh, they are deeming that, you know, this is the law either way. The other thing that's interesting to me is that this seems to be more than just a typical partnership where if there was a farm out there, right? And let's say everyone in the world sometimes bought cocoa from there, but you had like a whole, you know, you're buying cocoa from, let's just say a thousand different providers. You've got no relationship with these providers, just a market that you go to, you buy your cocoa. And then it turns out that one of the providers was using slave labor. I understand going, Hey, you got no responsibility here. You're just kind of going through the market, looking at prices and buying whatever. Okay. But this is not that this is, you've got an exclusive relationship. You're the only people who are buying from this farm. That's a little bit more of a partnership than just showing up to a store and going, Hey, I'm purchasing something. Mike, would you agree with me on that? Then now like this is, uh, this ventures into almost the space where it looks like you've just created a legal framework by which you're not responsible for the actions of basically partaking in slavery. It's like, Hey, listen, I'm not allowed to partake in slavery. So we're going to do this. You guys go do all the nasty shit. And I'm going to give you the contract up front. We're the only people that can purchase from you, but I just technically don't want to own this business. It almost seems more like a legal workaround than it does to say, Hey, like, you know what I mean? It's one thing you show up to a store and you're just buying at a store. It's another thing when you have a contract with the people that you're the only person, people that are going to purchase from that store. And you're even giving them equipment up front and training up front so that, you know, your Nestle can be more, you know, more delicious, uh, even if it's being worked by slave hands, because th those are rougher hands. And then you got to start doing other, making other arrangements. Mr. Nice, any takeaways from that? Yeah, I think it's a just fucked up. Just a way to get around it for sure. It feels like a workaround. Yeah, All right. Yeah, it, it also feels like a workaround for me. Now, to simplify the arguments of the court is they go, one, it's um, it's a partnership. They weren't directly committing the crimes. Two, it's in the Ivory Coast, so it's outside of the jurisdiction of the U.S. Here, aiding and abetting in a foreign country, uh, so it's somewhat a question of enforcement tort laws, and then it's also that they are not, they're like doubly removed from the crime. So it's that they don't, we don't operate out of like that, you know what I mean? We're in the U.S., the country's in the U.S., so it wasn't happening in the U.S., so does the court have jurisdiction of that area? And then secondly, on, you know, they don't, they don't actually operate the farms. So it's a question of like, it, they're not doing it directly, but I just want to zoom out and go morally. Do you think a U.S. company should be able to have an exclusive partnership with the supplier? And then if they do have an exclusive partnership with that supplier, is there some sort of an obligation on the company to make sure that it isn't, um, isn't slave labor? So just like from a moral standpoint, I don't know. What, what's your personal opinion? Robsnewsroom at gmail.com. This is why you think you get the most brilliant minds, legal minds in the entire country. They would just be interested in kind of exploring the question, but instead they're the DMV. So they just go, hey, it's the wrong department. But then I was also wondering, like in the financial field, it seems to me like when I go to a bank, they've got an obligation to find out where the money came from. And that's because U.S. wants taxes. I mean, even though things are going on here for activities in other countries, if you're here, doesn't, doesn't the U.S. government take some sort of a cut? So if the government's taking a cut, how do they just make uh, the argument, hey, this is entirely other jurisdiction? I don't know. 
it seems to me like, especially as business is global and a lot of decisions could be made here, even though some of the labor is being done there and some of the sales are happening here, it doesn't seem like you're necessarily entirely removed from that process. And then, like I was saying, is there an obligation? I'm not sure. I'm not a legal scholar. I just take the bird's eye view of like, it seems to me that there's a problem. And by the way, I, I read Thomas Sowell's, uh, you know, economics, I mean, not economics, uh, basic economics. I did a great episode with Gene Epstein. And I want to differentiate that we're not talking about like minimum labor laws in other countries. If your best opportunity is working for Nestle for a dollar a day, like to me, that sounds crazy. And I would also say, hey, what's going on in the world where these people, but you start looking at the economics, maybe sometimes that is the best opportunity for somebody and will actually lead to a better life and more opportunity. And you can't remove yourself from the, uh, from just like messing up markets by trying to make changes in there that will end up having even worse negative consequences. But there's a differentiation between that and forced labor. If it's forced labor, that means people aren't opting into it. And so that entire economic equation that might exist to say, you know, things such as a minimum labor law wouldn't actually help people. You got to throw that out because we're not talking about people that decided that they wanted to work for a small amount of money. We're talking about people that were forced into doing it. So that, this, this is a different thing. So now back to, hey, the idea of, well, do you even need to ask? So I would argue, like, let's say a terrorist were to walk into a blank, Osama bin Laden, and he's like, dude, I've had a really good year of uh, blowing up these buildings. And now we've gotten into this new market where we send ransomware to the U.S. And this is my, well, does the bank go to go? Great. Now I got all this money and I can go invest it. And I have no obligation to ask this guy where he got the money from. Like if the guy from Solar Winds, a Russian dude, walks in and he's got now all of a sudden, you know, there was a $500 million ransom yesterday. And today this guy's got $500 million. He shows up. I'm pretty sure banks normally ask you, hey, where do you get this money if it's over a certain dollar amount? And I'm also pretty sure when you're making profits abro like abroad, you got to make some sort of declarations to the U.S. So I'm just saying, is this really precedent that anything that goes on in another country, uh, you know, that's, hey, that's another country, one. And two, is it really you got no obligation to ask? It's an interesting question. Do I have an obligation? Like if, if there's enough there to suggest that it's probably some sort of an aspect of forced labor, which I would venture to guess I would be fascinating to see if someone did the investigative journalism of was a Nestle representative ever on the property, especially if they're offering training or what were the conversations that they had? Maybe, maybe like they're so good at like staying at home base or dealing with some three middlemen that they never like, there's no track record of the fact that they could have been aware of the fact that there was forced labor there, but that's not even an aspect that the U S government here looked into because they just ruled on the fact of, Hey, this is like outside of, or at least according to my understanding, Hey, this is outside of our jurisdiction. It's uh, doubly removed. And then they also say more than once, and this is crazy to me, that there's fears that it, um, that ruling in the favor of the supposed slaves here would expand precedent of suing U.S. companies for uh, abroad. And if we allow that to happen, here's the direct quote, it would um, interrupt business. And I just can't believe that the most brilliant like legal minds in our country can't figure out a way to create laws that would distinguish forced labor from normal business practices. That strikes me like the same lazy thing, the wrong window thing. Hey, if we help you out, then there's all of world commerce is going to shut down. There's no way that there's not a way that the most brilliant legal minds in the country can figure out a way to differentiate and create laws that would enforce against forced labor without getting in the way of normal business. I just, I refuse to accept that. And, uh, you know, maybe I'm being too favorable. Maybe these people who like their originalism and that uh, Senator from, uh, from um, uh, Hawaii, the, the, the people working on this stuff are so stupid that, yes, they would shut down every single law in the, you know what I mean? Just all, like, all commerce would have to go out the drain because we introduced government to it. Uh, so I'll just repeat the question. 
Do you think it should be legal or ethical to source from slavery? And is me saying, hey, maybe the court should be getting involved just a dumb argument, like an EPA argument, because what will end up happening is, and they're actually more libertarian than me. The Supreme Court realizes, hey, if we get a law in the books that is going to create some sort of a permit or other type situation uh, to ensure that, you know, things are being uh, ethically sourced, it's going to create some sort of an apparatus where health inspectors are going to have to be showing up to places and people are going to be buying permits. And the next thing you know, no one's going to be able to buy a legitimate uh, business. But just the last thing I was thinking, you know, you always see like uh, I always thought like companies were almost being assholes when they put onto their products like ethically sourced. It's like almost like if I were to wear a T-shirt that said non-wife beater. It's like so now you start assuming, wait, so I, everyone else must be a wife beater. He's wearing the non-wife. Be- it's like. I almost thought like, oh, I guess it's a, like it would be a given. Like, yeah, you're not fucking buying shit from slave. But I guess now when I go to Trader Joe's and it said like they mean it, they, what they really should be saying is, yo, our, my candy bar might be like 30 cents more expensive. But Nestle, they got fucking slaves, dude. <laughs> There's just like or maybe that's it. Maybe we just need better marketing in the world where someone's like actually like, you know, maybe that's the maybe that's the private solution. The same way Jews have uh, if you ever buy a package and it says, OU, it stands for Orthodox Union. And that's because. Uh, companies will pay the Orthodox Union to come in and validate that everything's kosher and you got to stamp there. So, you know, maybe like we got Rotten Tomatoes, where some of us should actually have some sort of an organization. There's plenty of certification organizations that come in and they just approve the fact that there wasn't uh, slavery or other horrible things that are happening to people in order for you to get that product. And then maybe it's as simple as an education. I mean, if they can, if corporations can do this fucking woke bullshit, well, they're all, uh, you know, get upset at the president or companies for not promoting enough people that are minorities. You know, I feel like there can be an educational aspect to, hey, us at Coca-Cola, we're paying this people because we support a, uh, if anything, the companies that can really afford to, you'd think it would be a smashing of their competitors to educate, hey, there's this really expensive certification, but now we're going into the negative that it would become too expensive and the market wouldn't figure that shit out. All right, I'm ranting. I just feel like it's a little bit crazy to me that we hear so much woke or other things. And it just, you take a step back and you're like, I can't believe there's still slavery in the world. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you just like, you. it's like for everything we've heard about black, like you're like, it's, there's still fucking slaves. You know what I mean? Know. It's almost like, uh, doesn't it almost like blow the bubble of your brain a little bit of like, Absolutely. yeah. And then to think that it's not just slavery, it's the fucking candy bar you're buying your kid is somehow tied to that. Like, yeah, like I I think if you ask any American, literally Mm -hmm. any American, hey, would you rather be able to buy a candy bar for 50 cents or a dollar? But if you buy it for a dollar, there's going to be no slaves. I think we'd all go. But it's like it's not anything that we're thinking about. Yeah. You know what, though, I have to say about that is like that's like saying, oh. Uh, if we don't have slave labor, then shoes are going to cost a thousand dollars because but, but they probably wouldn't. But no, like, because yeah. I think it costs like Nike, like three dollars to make a shoe. Right. And they sell them for one hundred and thirty dollars. Right. And there's no like, let's just be honest. They don't need a hundred twenty seven dollar profit margin. Yeah, exactly. But also we wouldn't want government to step in on that on that one and be like, you you have to pay. because I, I mean, I have to like look at exactly what would go wrong there but you would end up losing job you probably they probably figure out how to do things more or uh, even through. like iphones are saying will cost thousands and thousands of dollars right but actually, I, don't, I don't think it's true you don't think we could pay americans like a normal wage to put circuit boards together i don't know i don't think it's going to cost to make a phone cost well like i said thousands, I, to me there is a differentiation between slaved and opt-in labor mm-hmm. even if the opt-in labor is not ideal uh and you're right 
we probably should be taking and this is the same educational thing mm-hmm. that like if we really had to confront the labor that was going into some of the items that we were buying would we still just kind of be purchasing it and it's all shit that none of us want to think about because we you know that's part of what we pay government for is hey make <laughs> these moral decisions for me and they're not really doing it uh sure. but you take a step back and it's like they're still slave i don't know Listen, I wasn't trying to bum anybody out with their days, which is why I come to Summer Porch Store. I don't talk about slavery on Summer Porch Store at all. I drink beers. <laughs> I uh, I gog- I oogle at people's wives. I eat their barbecue. I sleep in their homes. Uh, and uh, what else you got to plug, dude? Just Shedcast, Mike Nice CT, Sid Floyd, and the Blue Play Special out now. There you go. Dude, that album's fucking sick. And uh, are you training for Bong Olympics at all? Uh, I have been. I've been hitting that bong a lot recently, so I'm getting ready. Hell yeah. All right, let's, uh, let's take a couple comments, play a shed tune, call it a day. All right, uh, a couple comments. Let's see. Uh, how about this one? Federal Reserve website now states that no one owns it's oh, no one owns it. True story. I don't know what that means. It's hard to go back and, and reference. Okay, what I think what about. he's saying is that uh, the Federal Reserve is not a private public partnership, and that there are not banks that are profiting off the operation or actual shareholders in the Fed. Uh, and I'm sure that in whatever way they're describing it. Is more marketing because at the end of the day, it's uh, those dirty Jews I was talking about. All right. What else you got? Someone like that. You uh, made the Supreme Court, uh, the DMV comparison. Oh, thanks, dude. That was good. Uh, let's see. Weird story. Jurisdiction isn't real. I don't know what that means. Can... Ooh, who's that from? That, that's actually an interesting concept. That's uh, He's been commenting. I'll put through it up there for anyone who wants to see. Anarka Rika. All right. Rob's news at gmail.com. You never know when these people are legal scholars just hanging out. Uh, jurisdiction isn't real. I think what he's saying is that, uh, if you're really, uh, I mean, this is more like, uh, uh, autistically anarchy, whatever. But what I think what he's basically saying is like government's a man-made fabrication. It's not the ideal legal structure. It's the idea that like a government would tell you that they even have jurisdiction over you in the U S is like the same way taxation is theft. It's like, what, what gives the U S you know, jurisdiction over me or what gives the U S jurisdiction like to say that they can operate over there or that the world court mm-hmm. can. I think that's what he's saying, but that I'm putting sense. words in his mouth. So Rob'snewsroom at gmail.com. All right, let's take two more. Call an episode. Um, they want you to come to Fat Dave's house. Uh, Fat Dave, where do you live? And uh, no one pays the government. They I was hanging out with uh, with Toad. I, I, I had fun hanging out with uh, Toad up at Pork Fest. He was hanging out in the Mises Ten. He said, what's up? Uh, and uh, why don't you guys hit me up? I'd come back on the podcast again. That was fun. And that's pretty much it for the comments. All right, there you go. We called an episode. You got a shed tune for us? Sure. All right, we're going to listen to a shed tune. I hope everyone enjoys their Saturday and go buy Black Captain and give me your money. How much longer do I got to talk for it? So you got it up. No, yeah, it's good. We're going. All right, right shed tunes.